I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Hi and welcome to The Pink Elephant Podcast where we explore the biggest undiscussed issue in the body of Christ today that despite all we know, it can feel like there is something missing in our faith. In the last episode, we talked about success and fruitfulness. And to be honest, I wasn't really sure where to go next. So after a significant amount of prayer, I feel like God has actually led me to this next topic. And that topic is contentment. It also happens to be a very relevant personal challenge that I'm still working through with God. It is unlikely that we could talk about a more countercultural topic than contentment. Contentment is very rare in our modern society. And it would seem that there are many forces at play to ensure that we stay discontent. We are a pretty unhappy society. And I can tell that by the fact that there are so many books and resources telling us how we can be happy. There was a fantastic documentary called The Happy Movie back in 2011, in which it starts off by asking average people what they want in life. The most common answer to that question, of course, was to be happy. And yet it would seem that happiness is so elusive and what is required to attain it depends greatly on where you are in the world and what your interpretation of happiness is. The truth is, I think what we are really trying to say when we suggest happiness as our heart's desire is that we want to be satisfied. So what exactly is contentment? It's not a complicated idea, really. Contentment is the state of being satisfied to be pleased or to be fulfilled. It can apply to what we have both relationally and with regard to our possessions and even where we are at in life. Contentment is also quite scriptural. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 6, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Hebrews 13 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Job 36.11 says, if they obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. And in Luke 3.14, John the Baptist is advising a Roman soldier to be content with his pay. And of course, there are more passages that we will discuss throughout this episode. What I find rather interesting is that instinctually we know that being content is a good thing. But most of us aren't pursuing a life of contentment. In fact, it's often very much the reverse. We also wouldn't see it as a form of worship to God. Often, if we have decided to pursue contentment, we've done so because of the complexity that not being content has produced. But being content with what we have is possibly the greatest expression of worship to God. Being content often demonstrates that we are grateful to God even when the circumstances aren't in our favour. It communicates that we are satisfied with His plan, even if it doesn't seem like it would directly benefit us at the time. And this is important because we are told time and again that things like joy and peace are not situationally based qualities. Likewise, Contentment is also an inner journey that flows out into our behaviours and choices. We have often failed to acknowledge that our relationship with God is so deeply affected by our level of contentment. So often our prayers are focused on that which we want that we do not believe we have. 
Those things that we are often praying for demonstrate the fickle nature of our contentment too. We literally believe that we can and should have life just as we want it. And we presume that when we have everything exactly as we so desire, then we will be pleased. So in a nutshell, we're often waiting for a set of circumstances that we've deemed satisfactory to declare ourselves happy and content. Of course, this is not at all what the scriptures describe as contentment. The scriptures describe contentment as something that can be experienced in every situation because of Christ. See, the way I believe a lack of depth impacts this issue is that we don't understand what we stand to gain when we are content. Here are just a few of the things we gain when we are content. Firstly, we have more endurance. When we aren't reliant on the circumstances to fuel our faithfulness, we are more able to sustain ourselves. Our steadfastness is a product of a revelation of who Jesus is, rather than what he can do for us to obtain the pleasures we seek. Secondly, we are more grateful and experience joy. With the increase of depression, there have been significantly more messages out there about gratefulness and joy. I think the missing piece with all of them, though, is that we're often trying to be grateful when we are simultaneously convinced that things should be different. That's where contentment can be a more effective vehicle in the journey to gratefulness and joy because contentment accepts the situation knowing that nothing ever ultimately stays the same. Thirdly, the lives of others wouldn't affect us. There are so many messages being preached about comparison today on account of social media, but I've often wondered where the comparison begins with discontent. Why would what someone else has have any bearing on us unless we want what they have? Maybe that's not the case all the time, but I'm sure at least some of the time the real reason we are prone to comparison is because we aren't convinced that what we have is worth being happy about. So let's consider the alternative, discontentment, when you aren't satisfied. Much can happen when you aren't satisfied. Firstly, it's a significant distraction from the things that God wants to do or that he might be trying to talk to us about. Often we miss opportunities for God to heal us because we're so distracted pursuing those things that we think will give us satisfaction, even though what we are pursuing out of discontentment only promises to be a crutch. Secondly, as a society, we struggle with envy and jealousy. The thing about envy and jealousy is that it reveals what we really want. I have never been envious of something that I already have and are satisfied with. For instance, I have never felt envious of my friends who have daughters because I absolutely love my daughter and would never want her to change, except for her sleeping habits. Dear Lord, change her sleeping habits. But I do sometimes feel envious of my friends who post photos of their multiple kids playing together, you know, hashtag sisters or hashtag siblings, because I so badly want my daughter to have a sibling, and so does she. It's literally the most consistent thing she prays for. But unfortunately, for some reason, it just hasn't happened for us yet. But when I see those photos on Instagram or Facebook, it reminds me of what I really want that I don't have right now. Thirdly, Issues like greed often 
are rooted in discontentment. It is hard to ignore the overriding message of society that money is the solution to our satisfaction. We are all simply convinced that we need more and more and more. And greed isn't only a rich person's problem either. At the end of the day, greed is simply an intense and selfish desire for wealth and possessions. We might reason because we need it for good things like paying off mortgages or financing our kids' private school education that it means we aren't greedy. But the determination of what is a reasonable thing to pine for is very subjective. The rich guy who wants to buy another Porsche probably genuinely thinks he needs it. The fact is that most of us are quite wealthy in the Western world, especially in comparison to our brothers and sisters in other developing countries. I think if you have a choice on what you can eat, you're doing all right. I remember reading the book Mao's Last Dancer thinking, wow, they basically ate potatoes or yams or whatever it was every day. They didn't even have a choice. Or Angela's Ashes, where they ate eggs and bread pretty much every day, which for some reason made me hungry for eggs and bread for the next two months. It's probably the longest standing food craze I've had in my life. If you have the luxury of choosing anything, you're probably doing all right. And there are far more things we deem necessities that if we were really to think about it, aren't that critical. See, it's simply discontentment that makes us think we don't have enough even when we do. Fourthly, we begin to covet. I have heard so little in the Christian world about coveting because let's face it, we don't think it's a life-giving message. But the fact is, it is a commandment. It's up there with committing adultery and stealing. It's up there with thou shalt not kill. What? Just think about all the stuff that isn't on that list, that doesn't make the Ten Commandments. Swearing is not on that list. Submission to authority is not on that list. Sex before marriage, not on that list. Tithing, not on that list. Now, I'm not trying to make any comment on the theology of swearing, submission, sex before marriage, or tithing. I am simply trying to show you that coveting has probably not been given the airtime it deserves if it makes the list over so many other topics that we preach about often. Even if you theologically believe coveting is the least important of the Ten Commandments because it appears last, it doesn't change that it makes the list. Okay, so what is coveting? I didn't actually realize this until I was going through my own journey with contentment, but coveting is used in the Bible in two ways. There is a positive way and a negative way. The negative is obviously what is referred to in the Ten Commandments. And we'll talk about the positive ways a little further on, but the negative version of coveting is when we have an insatiable desire for something that doesn't belong to us. And it's not just about whether we act on those desires either. Say with the example given in the actual 10th commandment, not to covet your neighbor's wife. Well, committing adultery is already one of the commandments. It doesn't make sense that God would essentially restate the same commandment in two different ways. Theologians agree that coveting is a sin of the heart and mind. The inclusion of this commandment was God's way of saying that sin isn't just whether you act on something. It begins in the heart. So on that basis, the fact that people say pornography is fine because you're not acting on it 
Yeah, well, yeah, wrong. Sorry. According to the law of coveting, it is a sin. Side note, I'm not trying to shame you. I know that there is so much more to the issue of pornography than the question of whether it is a sin or not. I promise I will be proposing some thoughts in later episodes to help people, guys and girls who are struggling with pornography. So to bring it back to the overall message of this podcast, sometimes the reason we feel like something is missing is because we are excessively chasing after external sources of satisfaction. It wouldn't really be a surprise if our faith isn't nourishing us when our driver is to be situationally satisfied. Because the truth is, a deep faith is not really what you want, or at least you don't want it bad enough that you would give up all other pursuits to have it. But... I recognize that it is so incredibly hard not to fall into the trap of discontentment. So let's go a little deeper. Why is it so hard? It's hard because every day we are receiving a message through multiple avenues that what we have in our hands is not good enough. It's the entire basis for marketing. Good marketing will make you think that you need what they are selling which means you become dissatisfied with what you have, even if it's good. Social media, whether it intends to or not, sets you up to either strive for more or feel hopeless about your present circumstances and your future. Contentment is also really hard to achieve because sadly, it's not modelled well in Christian community. We are often critiquing and criticising every little element of the church community experience and using that to determine whether we are staying or going. Our leaders don't measure up to our standards. I've literally heard all of the following. They're not pastoral enough. They're not prophetic enough. Not funny enough. Not focused enough. Not missional enough. Too outward focused. Not charismatic enough. Too pushy. Too quiet. Unrelatable. Inaccessible. Too in your face. Too emotional. Too inspiring. No, that's never been said, actually. Not inspiring enough. Too visionary. I could go on. But having sat on the other side of the table, I can also say that leaders are often just as bad. They want more people and not necessarily for good reasons. They want more money, more space, more buildings. And often it's not because they need it. It's sometimes just because it would be cool or they want to emulate some other leader or it's just to keep up with the Joneses. But the final reason contentment can be so hard is because desire is inbuilt. We have been designed to desire. We can see this in the fact that Adam and Eve had a desire for the fruit even before sin had entered the world. The ability to desire was given to us for a reason. The problem we grapple with is that our desires can be misdirected and we often don't know how to handle our desires. The desire for love, for instance, is firstly filled by God and then others, but often we have that the other way around. The desire for significance is filled by recognizing how God has pursued you personally, not through prominence, status, or popularity. And when our desires can't be met in obvious ways, we get really confused. For instance, our desire for love and relationship can often get morphed into sinfulness when we seek sexual escapades. Or the desire for financial security might really be a desire to feel safe and protected. Or we might want to experience peace so much that we avoid all conflict. We are sometimes unable to ascertain what it is that we really desire at the core of our being because we are so used to simply responding to what we think we feel in that moment. So let's just take it one step deeper again. 
Where does discontent begin? Why would it even occur? The birthplace of discontent is lack. We conclude that we are without something that we've reasoned we should have. So total transparency, I used to find it really hard when I was growing up to see a group of blonde girls having fun together. As a child, I was often the only non-white Australian person in a group. At school, there were like 400 kids and I was the only non-white for quite a while. I had blonde friends, but when it became a group setting, I would very quickly notice how different I was to them. I would feel like one of them until they started talking about how they don't have to do anything to their eyebrows. And I'd be like, what? I'm pretty sure I was born with a monobrow, courtesy of my Indian heritage. It took a really long time for me to get to a place where seeing blonde girls in a group didn't represent feelings of rejection and shame. Instead, I constantly addressed my physical appearance. I tried everything to be thinner. I tried straightening my hair. I dyed my hair. I'd massage my nose to try and make it smaller. Yeah, I know crazy, right? I wore colored contacts for ages and scared the you know what out of people because I basically looked like a vampire. But what I didn't understand was that the sense of lack in my God-given design was never going to be satisfied as long as I wasn't them because I believed that I wasn't enough and they were. And we all have our own things, hey, when it comes to our appearance, our personality, our intelligence, we all have these things that we've cursed, that we've wished were different, because somewhere along the line, we got the impression that we weren't good enough. So the Bible has something to say on why we think we lack. In 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world... You do not have the love of the Father in you. This next bit is the key. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This passage shows us something very helpful. It shows us that the world is the initiator of misdirected craving. It's the values of this world that cause us to want physical pleasure, visual gratification, possessions, and even accolades, as it is referred to in this passage. The values of this world produce craving. Earlier I mentioned that our desires are often misdirected. Well, this passage is telling you why. Because the culture of the world encourages and leads us to these misdirections. It teaches us that if it feels good, it must be right which basically affirms us to live, to please our senses instead of directed by the Holy Spirit. It encourages us to value a trophy spouse over a spouse of good character. It encourages us to pursue possessions and comforts, a semi-pointless pursuit when our destiny is eternity and none of these things will accompany us there. And as the verse suggests, it encourages us to have pride in our achievements, which includes status and titles. The degree to which we are influenced by the values of this world is what determines how compelling the craving is. Here's the facts. There is nothing I can do or gain in my life that will make me satisfied in the deepest parts of my heart. If it were possible to look toward external means to gain that type of satisfaction, it would not last because it would still be hinging 
on circumstances, which can change and usually do frequently. True contentment is far deeper. It isn't reliant on circumstances. The famous passage, Philippians 4 verse 12, which says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This passage is saying that we can expect to be content in every situation, whether we have plenty or we lack, because God is capable of supplying us the strength necessary to endure either. His strength is actually that good that it is capable of giving us such perspective, because when you know the strength of God that has literally conquered the grave, you know that so many of the battles we face have already been won. When you are reliant on him, it's his strength that becomes the greater factor, not yours, which means you don't have to strive anymore. Hebrews 13.5, which I mentioned earlier, says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In this instance, the writer of Hebrews believes that we can be content because of God's presence in our life. To him, that is a good enough reason. Your security depends on how much you acknowledge his presence with you in every season of life, rather than whether you perceive that you have enough. It is possible to be content in every situation because we don't really need to change our lives as much as we need to change the source of our satisfaction. That is the secret to contentment that the world doesn't understand. Having said all of that, there are three exceptions to this conversation of contentment, to my knowledge. Number one, the amazing thing about boundaries is that even if you haven't defined them or stated them, we can easily sense when an internal line has been crossed. If you are being abused or you are in any abusive relationship, I want to tell you that you need to seek advice for your specific situation. This podcast can't address the intricacies of your experience. Abuse is not a situation that you are simply meant to be content with. This is also the case if you are suicidal. Please seek help. This is not the episode for you to apply to your situation. Secondly, there are a set of situations in which scripture supports discontent. Earlier, I mentioned that there were instances where coveting is discussed in a positive light. For example, when Paul says that he desires to know Christ more, when Jesus strongly desired to have the Passover meal with his disciples, and when Paul is telling the church to earnestly seek spiritual gifts. All of these circumstances, the specific word that was used was the same as coveting. This again demonstrates that desire, this inbuilt system, has been designed with certain intentions. God intended for our desires to be directed towards certain things, an intimate love relationship with him and devoted servitude of our neighbours. The third kind of supported discontent is when God stirs a righteous discontent. He does this because he is meaning to produce some kind of change in us or to make us take action. 
I knew that I needed to write a book about disillusionment because I had a dream where I was chasing after a very broken and hurt person. Actually, to be honest, it was a narwhal, you know, the unicorn of the sea. They had a broken tusk and I actually became a dolphin in the process of pursuing it. It was the single greatest dream I've ever had and I would totally give up eating hot chips for the rest of my life to experience that dream again. Yeah, that's right. Hot chips. It was that good. Like, honestly, I'm praying that you have a dream where you are literally a dolphin because it's awesome. Okay, I totally digressed on that. The fire that this dream initiated in my heart produced a determination in me to do something for those who are disillusioned. And sometimes that is what God is trying to do when he allows a righteous discontent. He is wanting to stir us to action. So here's the thing. You've heard the cliche, but it's all truth. Jesus is enough for us. The proof of this is the multiple times we read in the gospel stories of him feeding the masses on a bit of bread and fish. The recurring sentiment is that the people were full. They were satisfied with a meager piece of bread and fish. See, we are so used to defining satisfaction by what the world decides. But the world's destiny is not the destiny of the children of God. We are called to another way of life, one without lack. Psalm 34.10 says that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 23.1 says the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We already have everything good that we could possibly need. And anything we genuinely need that we don't have, God can provide or lead us to. What we've always really needed, though, is not a possession, a quality, or a trait. It's a person, Jesus. If he still doesn't satisfy you, maybe you haven't given him a decent enough chance to be satisfied by him. Because the fact is, we don't lack because God cannot lack. We just need to let go of the desire for circumstantial happiness and pursue that deep inner contentment that is sourced in and through Jesus and fills up our soul. In the next episode, we are going to talk about something that I know many of you will want to hear about, fearlessness. But before I sign off this episode, let me share one more passage with you. Revelations 12 verse 10 to 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In the final days, the victorious ones, which I hope will be you and I, are believers who are more attached to God than the satisfaction that can be attained in this world. They are the ones that are so aware of what awaits them that they aren't so invested in the here and now. The fact is, we will find contentment, the kind that gives great peace, when we are able to comprehend that the greatest rewards that could possibly exist aren't monetary. They aren't mansions, private jets, decadent meals and honourable titles and all of the great things that this world has to offer the best. No, the greatest rewards are being meticulously prepared for us. The body of Christ, right now, 
by Jesus in our eternal home. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com. 